Hey, what's up? Hello, and welcome to the Me and My Friends podcast, the show highlighting the unfiltered success, failures, stories, and embarrassing moments behind some of the most inspiring people that I know. If you're looking for health and lifestyle tips, encouragement, and laughs, then you've pressed play on the right podcast. I'm your host, Emmy Lou, and I can't wait to introduce you to my friends. You're going to love them. I know I do. It was almost like I got released from prison again when I figured out mm. that I could share my story and did not care yeah. if somebody held it against me. You are about to tune in to one of the most incredibly inspiring stories that I have ever heard from my good friend and celebrity personal trainer, Nate Edmond. Now, not only does Nate have the best laugh of anyone that I know, he always has a smile on his face, he's incredibly positive, and so much fun to be around. Nate and I were friends for probably six months before he opened up and shared the story with me that you're about to hear. I was just as shocked as you might be listening in, but let me tell you, hearing his story and watching the way that he lives out his life day to day is one of the most incredible things, and it really pushes me to be a better person. I'm so excited for you to hear and get inspired by Nate Edmond. Well, cheers. Cheers. Welcome to the show. <laughs> We're finally doing it. We're finally drinking tequila in your brand new condo. Yes. I did not know you were a millionaire, but now I know. <laughs> Nate is very bougie. I'm very bougie. Okay, so tell me, tell me about this tequila. What are we drinking? Okay, so we are drinking an El Caballito, which is a tequila straight from Mexico. I have a guy that I train occasionally, and he is a huge tequila like connoisseur. Loves going down to Mexico, visiting all the different distilleries. Um, so he has a ton. We actually had a tequila tasting party at his house. I don't know why I wasn't invited to that, but <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, yes, it was pretty impressive. He probably has two to three hundred bottles of different tequilas. So um, all kinds, anything you could possibly think of. This so, one reminds me of mezcal a little bit. A little smoky. Mm-hmm. Very strong. What's your go-to drink when you're out on Broadway? Because we both know that that's where <laughs> you'll end up this weekend. Um, if I'm on Broadway, it is either going to be, or in bars in general, a lot of times, unless I'm just sitting down and having a nice cocktail, it's either going to be a vodka water or a tequila and water. Okay. Silver tequila. So something nice and light. Uh, I try to take it nice and slow, but sometimes they go down a little too easy. Oh, don't we know as, it. As you know. Yeah, I do. I've been out with you a time or two. I understand. Yeah. Um, you probably get this question from clients all the time. Yes. When people are asking when you're out drinking, what's the best alcohol to drink or what should you be avoiding? What do you tell them? What are your tips for people that want to be able to indulge? Maybe they're going to a wedding, uh, but they still want to be able to drink, but they also want to, you know, they don't want to offset all the hard work they're putting in at the gym. Right. Um, so I will usually direct them towards something. I will tell them generally not beer. Um, just because of the high carbs and everything, your body kind of processes liquor different. So I'll tell them to go with liquor most of the time if they can handle it. Some people are just, <laughs> not, 
some people are just not good with their liquor. Um, and I will always tell them to stay away from the sugary mixers. So if you're going to drink something, try to drink it with a soda or tonic or water. Um, no Cokes, no Sprites, no anything like that with it to try to cut that extra sugar. So give them like three examples right now. Like uh, we know tequila, soda, lime is my go-to. Yes. Uh, tequila, soda, lime. So vodka tonic is always a very popular um, choice. A lot of people can't drink vodka waters. They think it's absolutely disgusting. Um, so I'll go like a vodka tonic with a lime. Uh, if they like a whiskey, uh, like a whiskey water. Oh um, no. Which is, I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like whiskey on the rocks. So maybe whiskey with a splash of water. I just don't do whiskey in general. <laughs> I used to college days. Right. But maybe not so much now. And not so much now. Yes. Um, and actually I like a tequila soda would probably be my my third that I actually like kind of a lot of people just don't like tequila because they had that bad experience with Jose Cuervo in college or something (laughs) like that (laughs) (laughs) and they just can't do it anymore but uh that kind of takes the edge off you put it with some soda and a lime or something like that and you really don't you really don't have that bad tequila memory that that so many people have a bad tequila memory yeah I've always loved tequila like from college I specifically remember for my 21st birthday Someone gave me a bottle of tequila, and I'd never drank it before. Never thought about getting a bottle of tequila, right. obviously, because I was underage. <laughs> um, no, I'd never drank it, and then okay. put it in my mini fridge, because we all had one of those in college, and saved it for a rainy day, and there was one night where we all, all my roommates and I had different plans. We were going to different parties, and we all ended up back at my place at like 11.30. We were just disappointed with the direction that all of our nights went, and yeah. then we just thought... We have a bottle of tequila in a mini fridge. <laughs> so we invited some friends over. We got like orange juice and whatever mixers we could just find, I guess, in our apartment. And we stayed up all night, drank that bottle of tequila. And it was one of my favorite nights in college. Yeah. And I've loved it ever since. I guess my whiskey moment is probably a lot like other people's tequila moment is. <laughs> you know, I think it was, I had a night after I'd graduated high school, I was actually still in high school and uh we just had one of those jack daniels nights where obviously should not have been drinking we were underage but uh somebody just got a bottle of jack daniels because that was the thing and of course taking shots of jack daniels is probably not gonna end (laughs) probably not gonna end up good for anybody and i'm pretty sure i ended up hugging the toilet that night so whiskey is a lot like that for me that sounds terrible oh it's horrible yeah that's why (laughs) that's why i will not drink whiskey hardly ever if you ever see me drinking whiskey if you know me if you see me out Tell me to leave. Oh, I mean, no. <laughs> tell me to leave immediately. That's what you I know. Nate's going downhill. <laughs> downhill fast. Oh, speaking of college, I went to Central Michigan University. You did not. Yet we still have mutual friends here living in Nashville, <laughs> Tennessee. We do. How do you know so many people from Michigan? Um, the last building that I moved into, uh, I decided to move back to downtown Nashville. Um, so when I got here, two of the first people that I met um was in the elevator and it was two girls so i just started striking up a conversation with them they were headed to the pool they had just moved here and it was hilarious because they seemed super cool outgoing they had their drinks in their hand headed to the pool it was the summertime and i noticed one of them had sunglasses on and you could distinctly see behind her sunglasses that she had scrapes on her face (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so of course I wanted to ask, but I was just going to kind of avoid it because, 
you know, it's not really a good icebreaker as soon as you're going to meet somebody. Um, so it turned out I met the same girls the next day and I finally asked her, her name was Angie and I finally asked her, you know, what happened? So anyways, long story short, they were of course out on Broadway the week after they moved here mm. and she not so gracefully took a spill after drinking too much walking Ooh. down the sidewalk. So it just turns out that Angie and Stephanie were graduates of Central Michigan. <laughs> Fire up chips. You yeah. know, that does surprise me. We learned a lot at Central, but the majority of the things that I learned were how to drink alcohol, <laughs> how, you know. So, I mean, maybe they didn't take the same courses that I did, but... Yeah, it's fun. So that's... It seemed like they might have taken the same course as you did, Emily. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, I haven't so, taken any stumbles recently. Or that is, my face, that, that is true. I've never seen that out of you. Um, so it just happened that, of course, Nashville being a city that people just love to come and visit and have fun in, uh, they just have a bunch of friends and them being around the same age as you. Uh, it just so happens that we, <laughs> we ended up knowing some of the same people now. <laughs> Fire up chips. Yeah. We're fun, friendly people. Fun, friendly people. <laughs> Welcome to the South. Yeah. We all moved down here because it's just so cold up north. It yeah. literally snowed this week in, at home in Michigan. Don't know how you do it. Well, that's why I don't. <laughs> so, okay. When I met Nate, I met you almost two years ago, I guess. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. And so I remember just kind of thinking like, okay, this guy has it all together. Which he does. He's like a celebrity personal trainer. He always has a smile on his face. He's the most positive person that I know. And I remember I had one particular weekend where I was extremely homesick. It was Memorial Day weekend, a year yes. and a half ago. Mm -hmm. I was all by myself here in Nashville. And if you're from Michigan or you know anyone from Michigan, you know that Memorial Day weekend is a huge weekend where you go out on the lake with your friends and your family and you just have the best time. It's yeah. like totally an unplugged type of weekend where you're just with your people. And I was not with my people. I was all by myself and Nate invited me to a pool party. Yeah. Do you remember this? I do remember this. And we're hanging out and we're just like having a good time and I'm meeting people and he just casually makes this like comment, just drops it in there real quick about how he was in prison for a little while. <laughs> and I laughed. I thought it was a joke. There's no way that this guy in front of me who has this perfect life and has this perfect career was ever in prison. Yes. But you were. <laughs> turns I, out. I, turns out I was. Um... It kind of takes people by surprise a lot like you said when I tell people uh, I think a lot of a lot of my life is geared towards a really good outward appearance um, you know how I look being a personal trainer attitude trying to motivate people everything like that so it's almost like a different life but when I was a young guy when I was a teenager I ended up falling into the wrong crowd, I guess, having the wrong group of friends. Uh, it was a lot about being unsure of myself and wanting to fit in with people um, and just fit in with the right crowd or not the right crowd, but just be popular, be liked by everyone and not being yourself. So uh, it started with me getting involved in drugs. Uh, I got involved in you know, innocent enough, just kind of smoking weed, doing drugs, uh, or doing that, you know, just hanging out in the wrong crowd, and it kind of snowballed from there. Uh, it went into 
just kind of missing school, skipping school. God, that was, I was, you know, on the honor roll, played sports, was in all the right stuff. And I just, I got caught up in, in this, like having fun and, you know, being more popular than I ever had been just because I like to have fun, I guess. Um, so it kind of rolled from there. And I ended up actually dropping out of high school my senior year. So <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. So oh, you're learning something new about learn something day. new. Yeah. So in like it was really it got to the point where I didn't know what to do. I wanted I knew I was doing wrong. I knew that you know the the path that I was going was nowhere good and it was just too much for me to try to get away from. So Yeah, so what was your mindset in that moment when you're dropping out of your senior year of high school? I know for so many people, that's your biggest, most exciting year. And yeah. it sounds like you were doing well in school. You were playing sports. You were at the peak of your popularity. What was it that made you kind of downward spiral from there? Um, I ended up, so in the midst of that, I ended up starting to sell as well because I had a lot of friends that use recreationally. Um, they just like to smoke weed, they like to have fun, they like to party, but they also handled their shit a lot better than I did, honestly, <laughs> for a lack of better words. Uh, they were able to hold it together, they were able to do their school, and I did not. Um, I got caught up in kind of the money of it, uh, kind of the influence that I could even have as an 18-year-old, and just having fun all the time. and. I just kind of lost my way, mm -hmm. honestly. Um, so I guess my thoughts were, I didn't have a plan, but I just figured everything would, I could turn it around or everything would turn out all right or I would figure it out somehow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which was not the case. Which, <laughs> which didn't happen exactly. Did not exactly happen, yeah. Um, I can't imagine having any sort of like lucrative career, if you will, at the age of 18. I think I was yeah. making like $8 an hour at Victoria's <laughs> Secret slinging bras. And I was like, yeah. yes, if I work for three weeks, I can save up to buy a TV. It's like $200. <laughs> like that was my 18 year old self. So yes. It's very different. I cannot imagine. Yeah. Yeah. With uh, pockets full of money and being able to do anything that you wanted to do. You know, it's, it's very... <sighs> I guess if you if you give that to an 18 year old, especially someone who is not that mature, um, they take it in the total wrong direction. Yeah. So tell me how that escalated from dropping out of high school, having money that you mm -hmm. had maybe never experienced before yeah. to ending up in prison just a few years later. What was that journey? It happened when I was selling weed and a couple years into it, about when I was 19 years old, uh, the guy that was my dealer ended up getting arrested. And I thought, well, okay, this is the end of this. You know, it's fine. Um, I'll just go back to school, I'll do whatever, and then I'll, I'll pick up my life. I'll go to college because, like I said, I'd already taken my ACTs. I was prepared for college when I dropped out of school. So I just thought I would just pick my life back up. and and go from there. And probably not a month or so later, uh, the guy that I was partners with and that I'd known a long time and we sold together uh, came to me with a different proposition. And he said, well, if you liked making the money you did, how about we move on to 
selling cocaine and ecstasy. And of course I immediately thought it was a bad idea because I still had a decent moral compass, <laughs> as weird as that is to say, but it was very appealing to me um, in a way that I could be hold more influence or I could have more money or something like that. So it kind of went from there and me being irrational in 18 and, you know, <laughs> being more brave than I had brains at the time. I That's guess. a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I went ahead and said, yeah, and figured it out. So then I moved into a life of selling harder drugs. Um, and meeting a whole different type of people after that. So that went on for a while. And after that, it all came crashing down. Um, of course, around 2001, um, when September 11th happened and all this stuff, I, the guys that I knew were not from the United States. So when they started checking into all these people that were here illegally, um, overextended their visas, overstayed their visas and stuff like that. Um, they ended up catching the guy that I was connected to. He ended up in turn setting everyone up for the FBI. Uh, and that's when it all came crashing down for me when I was six weeks past my 21st birthday. Okay, so <clears throat> what happened? How did, how did this go down? So... The guy that I knew ended up getting arrested. Uh, we did not know this, me and the guy that I, the other guy that I had known for a long time that we had sold drugs together. We ended up meeting them. They owned a nightclub. So we ended up meeting at the nightclub one night and I had agreed to go take some cocaine to someone else just for some quick money. Uh, Little did I know he was setting me up with the FBI at the time. <clears throat> so I took the cocaine from the club and started driving. I ended up seeing some people tailing me, a car tailing me. Um, it was obviously not a marked car or anything. So I thought I was getting robbed at the time. So we ended up in a car chase on the interstate through, <laughs> through Nashville. You? Yes me it is a lifetime ago for yeah. me um but yeah i ended up going through a car chase in downtown nashville when they finally flashed the blue lights i pulled over when i knew that i pretty much knew my world was over i thought it was going to be a lot worse than it was looking back at it even though it was pretty bad so i got arrested that night and i went to jail like I said, six weeks after my 21st birthday, and I did not see the light of day, I guess. I never saw my freedom again until the day that I got released from prison. And what day was that? That was around 10 and a half years later. I got out at 31. Yeah, I was six months away from my 32nd birthday when I got home. So let's back it up. Yes. Let's back it up. So. Yes. Your mindset, you drop out of high school, mm -hmm. you're like, okay, figuring this out, you're popular, you've got all this money. Yes. Now we're getting arrested. So we'll start there, I guess. Mindset, obviously, yeah. I'm assuming isn't fantastic. <laughs> no, it's, it was horrible. I, um, 
a little bit of my background. I was raised in a middle-class family. I was afforded everything that I ever wanted or maybe not wanted, but definitely everything I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, Never wanted for anything, you know, unless I was just being spoiled and didn't get it. (laughs) But I came from a great family. It was not a broken home. I did not come from bad circumstances at all. Uh, I knew right from wrong. I was taught right from wrong from day one. So at 21 years old, when I got arrested, I was thinking my life was over with. Mm -hmm. I was thinking I was a convicted felon. Nobody would ever hire me for work again. I would never get a good job. I would never be able to, like, I just, I thought my life was over. And this was before I ever even knew what kind of prison time that I was facing. So I was in a pretty like broken mindset at that point from the minute I saw those blue lights behind me. What were those first couple months like in prison? Uh, So they were horrible. It took me about, (laughs) it took me about a year to go through the court systems to plead guilty and get my prison sentence. I had no clue what was going to happen for probably the first six months that I was in so were you jail. living at, okay, you're in jail. Yeah, okay. so I was in a county jail setting, just waiting, going back and forth to court. Um, federal courts work relatively slow. <laughs> so it was just weeks and sometimes even months before I would hear anything or even get an update on anything about what was going on with me. So I was just laying there, pretty much. I was just sitting there. 24 hours a day wondering what the hell was going to happen to my life. Are you allowed to read books or do any activities? Yeah, read books, call home, um, watch TV, and that's about the most of it. Write letters, and that's about it. Um, You were pretty much locked in a big dorm room with about 10 other guys, and... You might have gotten out one hour a day. Is yes. it is it like it is in the <clears throat> movies? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a dumb question, but like I want to. I don't there, know. Generally, not. No, it's a. You know, it's a. It's different, yes, but I guess similar in a sense that, you know, a lot of them kind of exaggerate how bad it is. Uh, I guess it can be bad. It's it's really bad from a mental and emotional standpoint, for sure. Yeah. Um, can be bad from a physical standpoint, I guess. But, you know, coming from somebody who <clears throat> lived in a middle-class family, yeah, you have pretty much all your privileges taken away, and you are fed some pretty horrible food. Yeah. <laughs> what do they feed you in there? Uh, um, the best thing I can equate it to is maybe like an elementary school cafeteria. Oh, that cardboard pizza. Yes. I actually loved that as a kid. I, I, mean, I was having a conversation about this not too long ago. And those square pieces of pizza were a real treat. Like, um, but yeah, pretty pretty bad altogether. I mean, there's no good way to put a spin on that. There's, there's no good way to put a spin on that. So, so what were you able to get away with? In the movies, I hate that I'm equating it to the movies, but that's yeah. really the only experience, I guess, that I have and a lot of people have with prison is yeah. what you see on TV and in the movies. So you'll right. see, like, they're mm. trading for drugs or alcohol. Like, is that something going on? So that's definitely something going on. Um, I actually, I probably smoked weed for the first two years I was in prison. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did you do that? Talk about, talk about really learning your lesson. <laughs> yeah, there's all kinds of ways. You have some 
intelligent people in there that will put their mind to doing the wrong thing no matter what. So there's ways to sneak it in. There's guards who like to make extra money on the side that don't really care. Uh, so are you able to make money in prison to pay for some of these things? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You could, like when you're in prison, you have jobs. It's mandated that you have a job. Now, whether you make any money at that job or whether you actually have to do anything, that's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you have you have jobs where you make peanuts, like 15 cents an hour, 25 cents an hour, 35 cents an hour, stuff like that. But oh, uh, my $8 an hour at Victoria's Secret was Right? Looking amazing. good. Looking yeah. real good. Never mind what I said <laughs> so, earlier. Take it. I'm grateful. So, the, so there you go. I was making good money at 18, and then when you were making $8 an hour, uh, I was making $0.25 cents an hour. Hey, it all evens out. <laughs> it all evens out. But yeah, there's other ways. You know, of course, ex-drug dealers and everybody else will find other ways to make money one way or the other. From cleaning for people to... Finding ways to get drugs, tobacco in, making alcohol because they make alcohol in there. I mean, there are some brilliant minds in prison. Very, very. There is definitely some brilliant, misguided minds in prison. Yeah, that's probably Um, the best way to put it. Yes, they've just put it to the wrong thing. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, So, yeah, my first few years, my mindset was horrible. I thought that if you're 21, when you were 21 years old... Could you picture what you were doing at 31 years old? I still can't. <laughs> I'm not there yet. I still can't picture. Right, it's only right, a few years down the road. Right. And how old did you think 31 was when oh you were 21? Oh my gosh. <laughs> like your, your grandparents. Like your life was over? Absolutely. <laughs> so, so my life was over in multiple different ways yeah. as far as it went. Oh my gosh. At the time that I got arrested. So what was the pivotal moment while you're in prison that kind of set your mindset on the right track? It was probably... Gosh, it had to be about three years into my prison sentence. And I had just been sent to solitary confinement again. Um, between the first three years, I had spent about 12 months total in solitary confinement. What? Um, drinking, fighting, being investigated for selling tobacco because tobacco and money transactions i'm trying to picture you fight right now i know this is a serious conversation (laughs) it is it is a serious hey i'm a redhead i had a bad (laughs) i had a bad temper at one time when i was younger (laughs) if i ever see you angry i will know something is very wrong yeah you don't see it all you rarely if ever see it um so probably about you know, a year into that, I was back in the hole. I had a phone call once a month at that time when I was in that type of trouble. And I was on the phone with my mother, actually. And my mom and dad were, they were great. As hurt as they were from what I did, I think it hurt them more than anything um, from a standpoint of they didn't know where they went wrong as parents. And... They just didn't know what to do, but they wanted to see me. They had a, <laughs> they had more sight into the future than I did because they thought that, and they hoped that I could be successful when I came home. So they they stuck by me. You know, they, as much as it hurt them to come see me and talk to me and see my circumstances, um, they stuck by me. And it was my one phone call, fifteen minute phone call that I had once a month when I was in the hole. And my mom was talking to me and she broke down, which 
is hard in and of itself to ever see your mother in a position that like she's emotionally hurting but Mm -hmm. you know she asked me that you know if if I can't stay out of trouble when I'm in prison how am I going to come home with all the temptations that I faced at one time and stay out of trouble here and she told me you know no matter what happens they will stand behind me and do whatever they can for me for the 10 years that I was in but she said she could not stand behind me if I came home and I got in trouble again when you get a phone call like that and then you have zero contact with anybody outside of those prison walls for another 30 days and you're locked in a cell for 24 hours a day it gives you a lot to think about yeah yeah blessing in disguise Huge blessing in disguise. I think yesterday I jokingly said, thank God for prison and passing. <laughs> but in this moment, I think that that might be worth saying again. It is no... Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, as bad as my consequences were, I do look back at it sometimes and think how much worse it could be. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, if I wouldn't have gotten in the type of trouble that I did, would I have just consistently been a screw up for the rest of my life and been in and out of jail or never really had that push to be successful or when you're dealing with tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars at a time and drugs it would have been very possible that i would have lost my life so um either of those outcomes is much worse than me having to spend 10 years in prison at one time so much worse It's a positive way to look at it, for sure. (laughs) I mean, I'm telling you guys, he literally is the most positive human that I know. Um, Yeah, so at that time, I kind of started to turn it around, and I ended up... The federal prison system is... It kind of goes like this. If you want to help yourself, and you want to educate yourself, you can. And if you want to be the same person that you were when you got into prison, no matter if it's two years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, you can be that same person. Um, They're not going to push you to do anything. It's all on you. So it was after that point that I decided to look into the education possibilities and what I could do for my future. Um, And it happened to be that the place where I was, the institution where I was, ended up having a, a welding and steel workers program. So I ended up getting in an apprenticeship program um, and getting certified through the Department of Labor through a, an apprenticeship program, which took me about five years to complete. Wow. So I worked a full-time job, going to work at 7.30 in the morning, getting off at 3.30 in the afternoon, um, doing steel work, construction type of work, and stuff like that. That probably helped your mindset, just having a purpose to wake up every day. and It did. Yeah, it got me back in the mindset of, you know, when I get home, I'm just going to have to bust my ass. I'm going to have to work as hard as I possibly can. I'm going to be at work all day long, you know, and it's it just kind of, it helped me to prepare for the day that I was going to get released from prison. Right. So. so what was your end goal you knew as that day was approaching? Yeah. What was your end goal when you got out of prison? What did that system look like? So I did the steelworking program in preparation for going to work construction. Um, I knew that was an industry that 
doesn't really discriminate against convicted felons. Um, as long as you have a work ethic, they'll take you and they'll let you work and they'll let you make whatever you can of yourself. Um, so I spoke a decent amount of Spanish before I went to prison. <laughs> Do I need to ask why or is that obvious? I mean, you know, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was good for my occupation at the time. I practiced that a lot too, you know, in, in hopes that like I would start working in construction and I would just try to work as hard as I could and work my way up into whatever position I could, you know, doing that. Um, and I thought that I might be able to make a decent living doing that when I came home. Yeah. So I was released to a halfway house um, because I went to prison so long and so young. I was kind of part of a pilot program where they started giving some people a lot more time in a halfway house than others. So they afforded me nine months of oh, wow. supervised like halfway house time. Um, so I got home and I started looking for jobs in construction and welding and thinking that I was going to go to that. Um, didn't quite turn out like I thought it was. Um, Were you kind of cocky going into that? Like, I've been doing this for five years in prison. Yeah. I'm really good at it. Yeah. I've got no issue. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I felt comfortable with it, you know, and yeah. I thought that, okay, I'm going to go home and, you know, people with a trade and a skill can make really good money. Yeah. Um, really good money. So I felt great about it. I was ready to tackle life once I got home, you know, and I went and I ended up getting hired for a job and I was so excited. I was straight out of prison from making 35 cents an hour or whatever. Um, I got offered a job to make $40 an hour. Wow. I would have been paid travel time, a per diem, all the overtime that I wanted. So like, I was going to be making a lot of money and you know, in relative, but the halfway house told me that I could not take the job. So even though I got hired by this company, they told me I could not work. Right. It was traveling. So I would have been working two hours away from Nashville and they were not willing to do it. Oh, um, that's heartbreaking. It is. Yeah. It's kind of, it was one of those moments where you question you know, like you question whether you want to go back to doing what got you in trouble in the first place, mm. unfortunately, yeah. um, because you think you had this successful breakthrough and, you know, you kind of have a, an issue with authority going into and coming out of the situation that I was in, mm -hmm. um, just because you have a, you know, you don't like a lot of the officers that are in prison. A lot of times you don't like cops because a lot of people's mindset is they're the ones that put you in prison. Mm -hmm. So here's another authority figure for me telling me that I can't do something that I succeeded in. Ugh. So it's rough. Um, and it was kind of one of those moments where I really had to think about it, you know, and it's not that I didn't think about going back to, to doing what got me in trouble, but it was one of those moments where I'm thinking like, I'm never going to be able to have the opportunity to get ahead or be, you know, quote unquote successful. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know what to do from there. I had to kind of regroup and I ended up swallowing my pride and going to get a job bussing tables. 
Okay. Where at? Somewhere in town? $5.50 an hour. Amazing. <laughs> um, yes. I was, I got um, right here in downtown Nashville. It's a restaurant called The Southern. So. Oh, the Southern. Okay. Yeah, $5.50 yeah. an hour. Hey. That's about what you make today. Plus tips. Well, tips. <laughs> I might be doing better. Um, no. Yeah. Yeah. Similar to what I make today. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just swallowed my pride and I was like, well, if this is what's going to, if this is what's going to keep me out of trouble, then this is what I'm going to have to do. And I'll do this for now and I'll figure something out from here. Okay, so you're busting tables downtown Nashville. Yes. You've got a job. You're out of prison. Yes. So I'm sure that your mindset is positive in that aspect, but you're still not doing what you thought you'd be doing. No. So how does this transition into personal training? Because you have this incredible career now. Yes. But it's been, what, seven years? It has. It's been nearly seven and a half years since I got released. We celebrated this past summer. We did celebrate this past (laughs) summer. Um, so I figured instead of waiting my time, I saw, if you know anything about restaurants in downtown Nashville, you know that you can make some really good money there. And if you know me, you know, I hate the cold weather. (laughs) So so, So the guy who wore a beanie today was like 70 (laughs) degrees. It's got to keep a bald head warm. Um, Yeah, so instead of just waiting my time and wasting my time for the next six plus months until I got released from the halfway house and I would have been able to get a job and travel, Mm -hmm. um, I decided to see where my opportunities could have gone there. So the Southern was great. They let me have the opportunity to eventually move up to serving. Um, After that, I ended up heading up their private events for them. Um, and I didn't know a, that either. Yes. Yeah. So I, I was kind of, I was the head server of their private events at one time. So they were, they were great. They let me, if I was good at my job, they let me do whatever I want to. And from there, I, you know, continued to work out all throughout prison. And then when I got out, it was just something that was, it was that escape mm-hmm. um, at all times. So it was great for me there. So I was in decent shape when I got out and like, I thought this was kind of a fantasy or a dream, you know, like, oh, it'd be really cool to do personal training, but like, is that really something that you can do for a living? So I met someone in my life and she actually really pushed me into pursuing that while I was still serving. So I ended up getting all my certifications, my personal training certifications. And then it came another one of those, like another one of those times. Um, it was about a year or so after I got out of prison that I earned my certifications, maybe closer to two. And it was one of those times that, okay, well, I got my personal training certifications. I'm going to go immediately get a gym or get a job at a gym, start personal training. Yeah. Um, so I started to apply to all these chain places you know well-known names and everything and none of them would give me a second look and it was I'm not sure if it was because I was 32 33 years old and I'd never had a job in the fitness industry Um, my background is obviously an issue as well so putting me hiring me and putting me like working one-on-one with somebody was probably a huge hesitation for somebody who doesn't know me 
So it just so happened that I was at my doctor's office one day, and this was after probably six months of looking for jobs in a gym. And I looked out the window of my doctor's office, and I saw a sign for a gym. And I was thinking in my head, well, I've never heard of this place, so they must be independently owned. And maybe they won't have the same hangup as, you know, one of these other places, one of these corporate owned places. Right. Um, so I went down there and walked in. It was kind of a very different environment. It was not crowded. And <laughs> Emily knows what I'm talking about because we both train out of the same gym now. Um, and I ended up meeting the owner of the place. And... You know, he just kind of, he saw me at the door just looking kind of lost or whatever. Like everyone does when they walk in. Because <laughs> like, you have no idea what's going on. I had the same in. look the first time I walked in. Like, where am I? No front desk. No Twilight nothing. Zone. Just, yeah, right. Big open room. Yeah. Am I in the right place? Yes. Um, so I met this guy and he ended up being the owner of the gym. And he was in the middle of training a guy. Uh, but he took a brief moment to come over and speak to me. And I asked him, you know, if they were hiring and that I was a personal trainer. And he said, well, they don't really hire people, but if I wanted to talk to him, then he would be done in 20 minutes and I could come back. Um, so I was thinking in my head, well, there's no way I'm leaving. If like if this guy is actually willing to talk <laughs> to me, I'm not even leaving this place. So I went and sat in the corner for about 20 minutes. <laughs> Until he got done with his training session so I could talk to him. I was thinking, there's no way I'm going to let this guy escape out of the back door. Let, yeah, the, yeah. let this opportunity go by if, yeah. if he's actually willing to talk to me. Um, so I got to talk to this guy and he really didn't even, he didn't talk to me a ton about personal training. He was just kind of had a conversation with me. Just mm -hmm. kind of trying to feel out who I was as a person. And he let me talk, and we had this conversation back and forth for probably 20 minutes or so. And he finally told me, he said, well, <clears throat> I don't hire anybody here, but, <laughs> but if you're a personal trainer and you can find your own clients, it's like, you're more than welcome to come here and train. <laughs> Which worked well, because I had had people that told me that if I ever got a job doing it, they would love to come work out with me. So I was thinking, okay, this might be it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I ended up forcing the people that told me that to come work out with me. Um, I don't know if they thought they were lying to me, <laughs> to, me to just blow me like, off. Shit, you really did a job. <laughs> like, I know. I have to do burpees now. So I called them, <laughs> called them out on it, and that's kind of how my career as a personal trainer got started. And it's just all been uphill since. It's been all uphill since then. Yeah, it's been great. Um, I just kind of continued to build. I've, I've done great with keeping people around so and getting results from the people that I work with. So thankfully they have stuck with me and some of them for three and four years. Uh, and then I've just kind of built on it from there. I, you know, I go out occasionally and network with <laughs> Network with people. Network, aka drink tequila. <laughs> Let's be honest. It works though. It does. I mean, that's it how does. you network in Nashville. That's how you get your name out there. That's how you meet people. That is. Is that how you've met some of your higher profile clients? That is. Yeah, I've definitely met some of my higher profile clients like that. Um, actually, run into people at restaurants before, and they have made a comment to me. And well, they say like. Yo, you look ripped. Can I train yeah, with you? Yeah, like yeah. I mean, you know, if you know me, also, I will. 
I will wear a form-fitting shirt. <laughs> I will wear a form-fitting shirt. Is that a business right now? It is. Lululemon size small, so I'm, I can write this off very, yes. to gain some clients. Yeah. I've had some amazing people that I work with who have, you know, kind of sung my praises to friends and people that they know after they have seen results and, you know, they see emotional benefits and they feel better, they look better. So it just kind of, you know, it can radiate from people. Yeah. yeah. If you find a good match with a trainer that you click with, that knows what they're talking about, yeah. their personality meshes with yours. They know how to push you in all the right ways. It's hard not to go share that with your friends. It is, definitely. Yeah. 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 Your clients always have a smile on their face. I hope so. Yeah, I hope we... Uh, most of mine do. Most of, <laughs> most of yours do. The only ones that don't never smile at all anyway. So that's, <laughs> so, so that's fine. <laughs> I don't think there's anything you can do about that. So if someone is listening and they maybe they're stuck in a career where they feel like they're... They're, maybe they feel like they're in prison or yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say that, but that's how I it mean, came out. I've definitely met people like that. Or maybe they just have like something that they're looking for. Or maybe they had this big goal or aspiration and it was ripped out from underneath them. And yeah. they, they think to themselves, there really is no other way then. I have to go back and do what I was doing before, even if it's not the best option or the best choice. Yeah. You got through that. What's advice that you would give to someone else who's going through such a hard time or maybe looking to make a transition or trying to think positively and they just don't really know where to go? There's going to be, there's always stumbling blocks. There's always going to be something in your way. There's always going to be bad days or somebody who's going to tell you that you cannot do it. You just kind of have to think positive and if something's not working, you have to figure out a different way to go about accomplishing what you really want to do. Study it, look it up. There's so many ways to access information now. You know, there's, you can find any way to do anything in this world today. So just keep on at it. The only way you're gonna fail at something is if you do not try to do it, if you quit. If you consistently try to find different ways to do or reach a goal, you'll eventually get there. I mean, you, Find the wrong way 20 times, but when you find the right way once, it's going to be so amazing and so satisfying. I think the biggest and thing I see is people will try and try and try and they find the wrong way 20 times, but yeah. then they give up at 20. Yeah. Little did they know 21 was going to be the answer. Right around the door. Yeah. I will have 20 people talk to me about personal training. I will have two of them, if they get my number, contact me and maybe one of them actually come train with me. Mm -hmm. So, and it's the same thing. It's the same. Like if you have a goal that you want to reach, it's the same way you, like you said, you'll find the wrong way 20 times before you find the right way that next time. Um, and it's just consistently doing it and it's not getting your feelings hurt by no, you know, I mean, it's mm -hmm. no, no, no. I hear, I've heard no in my life way more than I ever, than I have heard yes or way more than I will ever hear yes in my life. No's don't really hurt. But yeses are so satisfying. Worth every no. Worth every no. And then some. Times mm -hmm. 10 at least. Mm -hmm. So um, you just kind of have to keep plugging away and just finding a new way. All right. So let's dive into some fun questions. Okay. Number one, we work at the same gym. I've heard some interesting men's locker room stories and interesting situations happening in there. <laughs> now, what's the weirdest <clears throat> thing that's happened to you in there or happened that you've witnessed? Um, I've just heard of some visuals. 
I mean, you know, I mean, I've just had a guy while I was kind of washing my hands and, you know, after using the bathroom, washing my hands, trying to get out of there. He's just kind of standing there in a Superman pose, just no clothes on, just trying to have a full on conversation, (laughs) full on conversation with me. So was he getting in the shower, getting out of the shower, just changing? I, I would say either just changing or getting out of the shower. I'm not really sure. Um... Here's one thing about going to prison. You kind of, <laughs> it's like a horse with blinders. Like you see what's directly in front of you and you don't look anywhere. <laughs> you don't look anywhere else. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so, All right. so, yeah, that's probably it. And it like I got the, the hell out of there as fast as I could. Yeah. Is it like that in all men's locker rooms or is this specific to our location? I mean, do you have some? Like, I've been in some gyms where you pretty much will see a guy doing a Captain Morgan with (laughs) absolutely no clothes on. And you're like, man, I'm pretty confident in myself, but (laughs) I don't know what makes you want to do something like that. I don't know what it is about men's It just sounds like people are just hanging out in there, smoking cigars naked, having a good time. I feel like that's it. Like, I've been in some big commercial gyms in their locker room, and it's like, I don't know why people want to sit in there that long or do what they do in there. But, hey. Hey. Whatever floats your boat. To each their own. Well, last week I asked you when the last time you peed your pants was, and I still don't believe your answer, which was six years old? About five or six years old. Are you sure? I'm very sure of that. Now... Right after that happened, funny enough, okay? Did you pee your pants that day? I did not pee my pants. But at the time of that, I think I was sick or I was getting sick. And then it was like a night or two after. I'm afraid for what you're about to say. (laughs) As nasty as this is, I guess. I had woke up in like a feverish sweat. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, when I woke up, I was like really wet and then our conversation, for whatever reason, popped in my head, and I actually questioned myself if I peed the bed. I wish you would have just told me you did. <laughs> like, I planted a seed, and then a couple days later, you oh, woke up. Man, I would have been so... If, if you would have planted that seed, and I actually would have peed my bed. That would have been absolutely horrible. Okay, what's something that you're afraid of that's like a common thing? I'm afraid of speaking in public. What do you mean you're afraid of speaking in public? I know, right? I speak one-on-one with people all the time. I speak all the time. Uh, but I mean, I'm but asking I'm what do you mean because I have you scheduled like, for an event oh, as I know. a speaker. It's, it's not like I'm. It's not like I freeze up, but I have such bad anxiety about speaking in public. So it is what it is, but it always goes through, and it's just like one. I hate my voice. I think this is normal, though. Yeah. I, I used to hate speaking in public. I had yeah. a specific situation happen in college where the completion of my grade counted on me going and giving a speech. Yeah. And I just decided not to show up that day because yeah. I was terrified that it was a group of 40 people I was very close with. Yeah. And they were all really good at it. And I was absolutely mortified that I was going to screw up. So instead of going to class, showing up and just giving a speech, whether I screwed it up or not, I just decided not to go. And that was the only time that I got below a B in a class. That was failing right there. Supplies to our conversation earlier. Yeah. Not actually trying. 
look at you now. You get up in front of hundreds of people every time, and I have seen it, and you knock it out. Eh. Every time. I try. Yeah. I don't know if I always knock it out of the park. But. I mean, you know, you can flip your hair now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you're afraid of public speaking. Yeah. I just said, like, if you know me and you follow me on Instagram, or if you ever follow me on Instagram, you never see my face. Oh, that's true. And you never see me speaking on it. All right. Can we make it a goal that in the next oh week, you have to talk to the camera one time on an Instagram story? Oh! You know how you said you talked to 20 people about training and only yeah. two of them yeah. might call you and one of them yeah. ends up training with you? Yeah. I want to bet that that ratio will go up if you talk to your camera on social media because okay. your personality is contagious and very authentic and positive. Okay. And yeah. if you're showing that on social media, people, yeah. you're laughing. <laughs> this I'm, is real. I'm smiling. I believe you're like, you're right. No, this, I know this you're is, right. This is like a true statement. If you're looking to create an audience of any capacity yeah. or gain followers or gain clients, mm -hmm. they have to know who you are. Yeah. So a two second encounter at a restaurant right. can then be followed up with them following you on social media. If you're talking to the camera consistently, yes. they're seeing you every day. Okay. And then finally, it might take a month of them following your stories and then they're yeah. going to slide into your DMs in a weakness moment where they feel like they hey. need you because they can't do it on their own or they're having that moment where they're like, shit, I just had like 12 plates of nachos. I really need <laughs> to train me. <laughs> I haven't eaten dinner yet, so nachos are on my mind, I guess. Okay, um, challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. Okay, good. I'm going to hold you to it. Deal. Deal. So what's your, your game plan for the next, like, five, one to five years? Where do you want to go? So, building on my fear of speaking in public, I want to do more with people that are getting released from prison. Uh, I need to volunteer more. I need to clear time in my schedule to do that. Um, sometimes I feel like being busier is the definition of being more successful or being better. And that's not always the case. I was reading in a book this morning, like busy is a badge of honor that people wear definitely as an excuse not to do the things that we really truly are called to do. Definitely. Yeah. I 100% believe that. And when I, I make myself busy and I distract myself from that, and then when I have some downtime, I realize that if I really wanted to, I would be even happier if I cleared some of my time and did some of the things that I want to do. So I want to do some stuff with people that are getting released from prison to help them know that they are not in a lost or hopeless situation mm -hmm. and that it is 100% real that they can do whatever the hell they want to do. Uh, if they put their mind to it. I want to uh, do motivational speaking also. I want to let people know that they don't necessarily have to have come from prison, but everybody's come from hard times. Nobody has a life where they've had great times their whole life. Mm -hmm. If they are, they're lying to you. Um, or they're lying to everybody. So I want to help people know that there's always going to be no's. There's always going to be stumbling blocks. There's always going to be hard times. There's always going to be bad or toxic relationships. There's always going to be something in their life that keeps them from progressing. And 
there's no way to avoid that, but there's ways to work through that mm-hmm. and get past it. Yeah. If they do enough work themselves and face it. Um, because avoiding it is not the way to do it. So those are two things that I really want to do. So what's the next step? Speaking on social media more. <laughs> and I feel like every time I tell my story, there's a huge burden lifted off of me. And I just have to tell my story more. I have to get in front of more people. I mm-hmm. have to meet more people. I have to do stuff like that and figure it out. I kind of, I don't really know the next steps, but I have to figure it out. It's one step at a time. One step at a time. So many times I overwhelm myself with this big goal or this big vision. And then I look at it and I'm like, who am I to do that? How am I supposed to be that person? Yeah. But you still have that calling that feels like this is the direction I'm being pulled and this is where I need to go. Yeah. And if I've learned anything in the last six months to a year and really listened to it, it's you just have to take the next step in the right direction. Even if you're in a fog and you can't see the step after that, <laughs> one step is going to lead you to the next. 100%. Yeah. It is definitely the next step is the most important step. Yeah. yeah. And I would say your story, I mean, it's so true and authentic and just knowing you and knowing you for several months before I learned your history. Yeah. Just kind of putting it all together, you truly are one of the most inspiring people I've ever met. And your story, it's hard. Like, I can't even put myself in your shoes and imagine what that was like for 10 years. Like, here I am at 27 years old, (laughs) living this life. And I've, you know, you would have been in prison for six years at this point. Yeah. It's hard to imagine, but it's incredibly inspiring to know that you were already in prison for six years. You still had, what, four years to go still four years to go and you pushed through and you were able to come out of prison overcome some more hardships and then still have the mindset that you have today and create the incredible career that you've had and inspire other people that's what i love to do sharing your story i can't imagine how difficult it is to share it with new people Yes. But if it can lift that burden every time, just know that every time you're lifting that burden, Mm -hmm. you're also helping hundreds of thousands of other people realize that they're okay in their story too. Yeah. Whatever that might be, whether they were in prison or they were in a toxic relationship or they're just struggling with internal battles themselves. It's so comforting to hear that someone else, whether their story matches up with yours or not, they made it through. Yeah. And it's just amazing that you're able to share that because... I've been in hard situations, not nearly as challenging, but in their own light, yes, challenging Definitely. all the same. Yeah, and it's hard to open up. It, it is. It's yeah. one of the scariest things, but one of the bravest and most courageous things that you can do. So yes. thank you for doing that today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I love it. I mean, I just kind of like tricked you into it with like, oh, tequila. <laughs> or, no, no, I didn't trick you into it. <laughs> Somebody asked me, I think it was a couple of days ago, of do you have a problem? with your story anymore and I absolutely not. If I tell my story and somebody holds it against me or does not like me for it, I do not need to be around that person or speak to them again in my life. So yeah. it's like my past is my past and I'm not ashamed of it anymore. And it was a huge freedom when I finally came to that in my mind that um, it was almost like I got released from prison again when I figured out mm. that I could share my story and did not care Yeah. if somebody held it against me. Like I wanted somebody to find value in it. I want everybody that 
I speak to to find value in it one way or the other in their own life. But I could care less if somebody does not like me for what I did however many years ago. So Yeah. I can't imagine anyone not liking you. <laughs> <laughs> there might have been one or two people in my life. <laughs> well, since I've known you, I don't know a single person that'd be like, oh, that Nate guy really sucks. <laughs> It's not possible. Uh, All right. One last question that yes. I like to close it out and ask everybody. What does it mean to you in this moment, in this stage of life, to live life completely unfiltered? Wow. That's a good question. To live life like you don't have to hide something is freedom. Um, like I said before, I guess, it's, it's, it's something that you don't have to feel the burden of necessarily trying to impress somebody if you live your life as yourself then the people that are meant to be in your life will be in your life the situations that you're supposed to be in will come about sooner or later probably later because nothing happens as fast as we want it to but if you live your life authentically and unfiltered as yourself then you will make it exactly where you need to be Thanks for hanging out with us on this episode of Me and My Friends. Hey, if you like freebies, head on over to my website, meandmyfriendspodcast.com for free monthly downloads. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you tune in so you never miss a freebie or an episode. If you screenshot, make sure to share with your friends and tag me at Lou on Instagram. And if you feel called to do so, leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. I'm so grateful for all of you, and I can't wait to talk to you soon. inappropriate questions to ask someone that's been in prison and then I'll just have everyone on my Instagram send in like what questions would you want to ask someone that's been in prison and then we'll just read them off oh that would be amazing all right we'll do that on the next episode together that'll be fun no so our first day our first day together we like our first dinner day we had coffee as our first day our second day was a dinner day so smart she just looked at me and she was like, did you ever have butt sex? <laughs> first question I ever met. The first question. Straight up. Second time I ever met. Second date, first question. Second date, Did you first ever have butt sex? Right after my birthday. And your answer was? No. I did not. <laughs> <laughs>